Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. It's Christmas Eve. I am excited to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Rob Stevens. I'm the pastor of Aletheia Church, and uh, we want to once again thank Greenbelt Baptist for inviting us uh, to come here for Christmas Eve. This is maybe four or five Christmas Eves in a row. We are a young church plant, uh, and so we have. it's just been a wonderful partnership that we've had uh, with Greenbelt Baptist. So uh, thank you once again. It's a privilege for us to be here tonight with you. For those of you who are married in the room, let me ask you a question. Do you remember the first time you laid eyes on the love of your life? Do you remember that time? Think back to that moment when you first saw her or you first saw him. And if you were like me at all, uh, the first thing that popped in your mind when you saw that person was, Whoa! <laughs> Hello! Who is that? Right? Followed by, I want to know her, and I want to get to know them, and that becomes a lifelong process then of trying to answer that question, who is that? And for me, it's been a long quest now, 21 years of it, 18 of them in marriage, uh, and I am, guess what, still learning about my bride, and I am still uh, continuing to look at her beauty in new and wonderful ways. Well, this Christmas Eve, we're here to think about Jesus. We're here to think about this child who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And I want to say we ought to have the same reaction when we look at Jesus. We ought to go, whoa, who is that? I want to know him, followed by a lifelong process of gazing on the wonder of who Jesus is. That's what we've been doing over this Advent season. Our, our two churches have sort of been doing the same study, Aletheia on Sunday mornings, Greenbelt on Sunday evenings. And if you're new with us, you get to kind of come in on the tail end of a four-week study. This is the fourth uh, sermon in this series here, where we have just been looking at the beauty of the person of Jesus. Right, And to do that, we've actually, on, in the Advent season, been looking at a non-traditional Christmas passage. But it is a beautiful piece of God's Word. It is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, traditionally known as the Christ Hymn. So I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians 1. And we're going to read the whole text tonight, but we're going to hone in on the last piece of this uh, uh, this evening. Uh, verses 19 and 20. But let's read the whole thing. Verse 15. Uh, that, that famous hymn, the uh, famous Christmas carol, asked the question, what child is this? Well, here is what this child is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now that's where the hymn ends, but I'm going to read the next two verses. We're going to tack these on tonight. And you, 
who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's pray and ask God to give us insight into his word this evening. God, thank you for this Christmas Eve. Thank you for the beauty of the incarnation. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. God with us, oh Lord, we pray that we would be blown away by that beautiful truth once again. Lord, as we look at your nature tonight, I pray uh, that you would fill us with wonder. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would draw us closer to you, Jesus. And more than anything, I pray that you would be exalted on high and glorified. So give us ears to hear, we pray, as we study your word. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to really hone in on verses 19 and 20 tonight, but I do want to real quickly, especially for those of you who haven't been a part of this study, just let you know where we've been for the last few weeks. Uh, Verses 15 through 18 is beautiful, and we've learned a lot about the person of Jesus, this babe who was born in a manger. He is the image of the invisible God, this great hymn says, Uh, which means this. That Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible. He's not a image bearer like you and I are. He is the very image of God himself. He's not a God or a picture of God, but God in the flesh. He has therefore made visible to us the invisible God. He, Jesus, this babe, when he came, he was the full and ultimate revelation of God to mankind. Not only that, but the verse tells us there, verse 15, that He is the firstborn over all creation. And we talked a bit about what that means. Uh, It's not first in order as if He were the first created thing. He was not the created thing. He is the creator. No, that word firstborn simply means supremacy. Jesus is supreme. He is ruler. He is king over all creation. Why? Well, verse 16 answers that question for us, doesn't it? It is because He is the source of all creation. The one who breathed everything into existence is the one that we're celebrating tonight. By Him all things were created. He created everything out of nothing. And not only was everything made through Him, but the text says everything was made for Him, which reminds us that this Jesus, this Christ child, is not only the source of creation's origin, but He is the object of creation's glory. Verse 17 ends by telling us that in Him all things hold together. I was thinking about that this week. It kind of blows my mind that this babe that was held in the arms of Mary was the very one holding her together and holding all of creation together. How beautiful and rich verses 17, uh, excuse me, 15 through 17 were. And then we got to verse 18 and we saw a little bit of a shift, right? Now, in verse 18, the theme is the same. The theme of this Christ hymn is that Jesus is preeminent, that He is Lord over all. But we begin to shift here from uh, Jesus' Lordship over all creation to His Lordship over new creation. He says in verse 18 that He is the head of the body that is the church. And so we learned that Jesus is the author of and therefore the Lord of God's new covenant community of people, His new people. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. 
He is the firstborn from the dead, that verse tells us, which means that He is supreme. He is foremost over the new life that was begun the moment that our crucified Savior got out of the grave. And that's really good news to us. Even on Christmas, we think about Easter, don't we? And we think about someday the fact that we will inherit a resurrected body and not be subject to sickness, death, and decay. And we could just stop right there, couldn't we? And go, wow. Jesus is beautiful. He is worthy of worship, right? But it doesn't end there. It gets good here. It gets very personal and real in verses 19 and 20. This is the final truth I want you to see. Let me reread those verses for us again tonight. It says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. Uh, He is the Head of the church. And tonight, here's what I want you to see. Jesus, this child that was born in Bethlehem, is the great Reconciler. He is the great Reconciler. And church, I want you to know that is the good news of great joy that the angels sang about to the shepherds that night outside of Bethlehem. He came to reconcile. That's really important. That, that word reconcile, apakatalaso uh, in the Greek, it literally means to make right. To make right. Now, it doesn't take a genius to look outside and, and, and look around us and see that things aren't right in this world. Amen? I mean, just cut on the news and open the paper and maybe even just look in your very home. We all are, are, are affected by a world that is broken and not right. And yet that is the very reason Jesus came, to make things right, to reconcile. And so I want to ask, as we think about that attribute, Jesus is the great reconciler, I want to ask five questions tonight about this work of reconciliation. And and I promise I'm not going to be here too long. We're going to zip through these, all right? But five questions that hit me as I was thinking about this. Number one, this is a really important one. Why is Jesus qualified to reconcile? Why is He and only He qualified to be the reconciler of this broken world and us broken people? Well, He's qualified because of who He is. This is a little bit of review here, but I love how here in verse 18 or 19, we see His nature and His work being tied together. Do you see that? For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. You, you can't miss the correlation between who He is and His uh, job, His work of reconciling, right? It's as if Paul just puts these two seamlessly together as if you can't have one without the other. And that's true. You can't have one without the other. He could not be the great reconciler if he was not God. Why? Well, primarily because the Scriptures tell us this. Only God can save. Only God can save. That, my friends, is a scriptural truth that we see over and over again. At no point in human history has the work of salvation ever been outsourced to anyone else. It has always been a work of God. And salvation is for the glory of God. Therefore, only God can save. Therefore, if Jesus is the reconciler, He is only qualified if He is God in the flesh. Only one who is fully God could stand 
between God and man, who is fully God and fully man. That's a mystery, a divine mystery. Could stand and bridge the gap between holy God and sinful man. And and do you note the way that this divine glory was worded here? I love this. I think it's actually very important. It says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. Pleased to dwell in Him. I I, I just looked at that as I was studying. I thought, that's got to be significant. Right? And I looked up the word. It literally means He delighted in Him. And and all I could hear was the voice of the Father at Jesus' baptism when His earthly ministry began. Came out of the water. You remember what God, the Father said to God the Son? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He was pleased with Him. You see, if Jesus were not God in the flesh, if Jesus contained the limits of a sin nature like you and I, God could not be fully pleased with Him. But Jesus is the full measure of God's righteous delight. Which means, praise the Lord, He can be our substitute. Only He can stand in our place. Only He is qualified. And we rejoice in that mystery and that glorious truth this Christmas, right? So that's why He's qualified. Second question I asked is, what did He reconcile? Now this verse says kind of a curious thing, doesn't it? It says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven. And there have been many who've read this verse and kind of got tripped up here. And they go, well, okay, there you go. That means eventually all people will be saved. All right? It's, it's a, a doctrine that people believe that, uh, called universalism, and they'll go to this verse and say, right there it is in your scriptures, right? Uh, but I don't think that's at all what is being said here. First of all, if you read the rest of the Bible, you're going to have a hard time upholding that, right? The easiest way to refute that is just to look at all the many clear scriptures that inform us that God is just and, and He is going to bring judgment upon sinners who die apart from Jesus' saving work. No, I think the context here is that he's talking uh, about uh, a reconciling work among this new creation, among this new covenant community. The verse right before this says he is the beginning. The beginning of what? He is the beginning of the church. And so the context is shifted from all of creation now to covenant community, God's new covenant community. Uh, which, which says to me that this reconciling work happens within this people here. I, the word all things there in the Greek actually can mean all, total, or every kind of. And I think that's helpful. Every kind of. Uh, I think this is the precursor to what Paul would write a couple chapters later in Colossians chapter 3 when he was talking about the church. And he says, have, we have put on the new self. He's talking about Christians who've been given new life in Christ which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here, here amongst those who have been given new life, there is not Greek and Jew, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here, in the redeemed community, what we have is all things, every kind of the, the beautiful scope of the gospel that is open to all kinds of people. Right? Now we, we see this reconciling work of Jesus among the rich and among the poor. We see this reconciling work among people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from every race, from every nationality. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. This reconciling work is available to every kind of. 
Right? And so I take the all things there to mean the scope of His grace, and it is a beautiful thing, isn't it, that the church looks like that. A beautiful, diverse place, saved by grace. Amen. And of course, I believe this includes non-human creation and upon Jesus' return. Right? He is going to reconcile and make right all things. Church, that is the child who was born in Bethlehem, this reconciler. Third question I asked here is why do we need reconciling? That's a really important question. We know he's qualified to reconcile, and we kind of looked at the what of the reconciliation, but why do we need reconciling? Well, just keep reading. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Why do we need a child to be born and to live a perfect life and to die on a cross? You want to know why? The author, Paul, here tells us because we were alienated. Now, this is written in the past tense. He's talking to Christians. You were alienated. This isn't your state anymore, but it was your state if you are here and you are a Christian. And it is your state if you're here today and you don't know the Lord. We are alienated. That word simply means strangers. We are foreigners. We are estranged. We are far from God, excluded from the blessing of His love, the blessing of His grace, the blessing of His presence. And why? Well, the verse says there, because we were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That word hostile, ekthros in the Greek, literally means enemy. We were enemies of God. Enemies in our minds. We were enemies in our very beings here. Do you see the scope of that? It's an inward and an outward position. Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. There's a, a thinking and doing. It's both what we do and what we think. That makes us enemies of God. Now that ought to set a little bit of concern in each and every one of us, right? You might be in here tonight and say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I do good things. I do outward. I don't hurt other people. But what about your thoughts, my friend? What about your inner being? This is what I believe Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 5 when he goes, look, I know you all know that it's wrong to murder. I mean, that's a pretty common thing to humanity to know that it's wrong to murder. But I say to you, that if you hate your brother, you have anger towards your brother, then you are just as guilty before holy God. And I know you guys know that it's wrong to commit adultery, but I say to you that it is just as offensive if you look at someone and lust after them. It's, it's comprehensive, right? And it's really simple, guys, when we think this. Why do we need reconciling? Because we are enemies of God. I think most of us, let's be honest, are not wowed by God's grace because we don't really think about how sinful we are. We just don't, we don't understand how deeply flawed we are, how, how much we sin against a holy God. We are the ones who have made things not right in this world. But Jesus came to make us right, right? So how did he reconcile? Here's my fourth question. How did he reconcile? And the text says that he reconciled all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It says that Jesus made peace. It's, that word also means to make right by the blood of his cross. He was qualified, my friends, because he was a perfect, sinless God who took on flesh, and then he purposely made his way to the cross. 
You say, this is Christmas. Why are we talking about the cross? Because <laughs> Christmas is all about the cross. All right? And a lot of people look at the Bible and they go, gosh, why, why? I don't like reading the Old Testament. You know, it's hard to understand. And let's be honest, it's brutal. I, I don't even... I just don't get the horror of the Old Testament like sacrificial system. Even to be right with God, like poor animals had to die. I don't get that. Why is that in place? It's simple, guys. Because we were that offensive. Our sin is that offensive before God. But Jesus, praise God, Jesus came. And He is the one, once for all, perfect sacrifice. He took that offense on Himself. Church, Christmas means that Jesus was born so that He may die. In our place. Listen to verse 22 again. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He died to present us holy and blameless. How's that work? How can he ever present me holy and blameless before God? I can tell you what doesn't work. He can't take me as I am and set me before God. That's not going to work. He can't take a better version of me, a reformed version of me, because I'm so deeply flawed. We just talked about that. No, the only way this works is through substitution. I need a substitute. He took our sin on His sinless life to give us His righteousness so that when God would look at us, He would be pleased. He would see the sun. You see, the cross, my friends, is beautiful. Because at the cross, we find the intersection of two attributes of God that seem to be completely in opposite directions. We see the justice of God being poured out, and we see His mercy being liberally given to all who would receive it by faith. And Christmas reminds us that He came to do that for us. Amen? One more question, and I promise I'll be done. Why did he reconcile? Why did he do this at all? We're tempted to say he reconciled for us so that we could be right with God. And yes, that's true. But you know what? It's greater than that. It's bigger than that. Listen to the way this great hymn says it. To reconcile to himself all things. What is the great purpose of our reconciliation church? It is God's glory. That's why he reconciled. And he did it for his fame, for his glory. That's a consistent theme all throughout the scriptures, my friends. God says this through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. <laughs> for my glory, I'm going to show mercy. Right? The psalmist, he was really, he, he, he gets repentance in Psalm 25, 11. Listen how he cries for mercy. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. I just want you to hear this clearly tonight, church, as we think about Jesus this Christmas. When sinners are rescued, it's not ultimately for the sinner. It is for the glory of the Savior. And God is zealous for His glory. You say, this is, is this a Christmas truth? Absolutely. Right? Is this not what the angels sang that night to the shepherds? They filled the sky. And what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. May we never make our salvation about ourselves. And may we never make Christmas about us. What child is this? 
This child is the king of glory. He is the great reconciler. And that is good news of great joy. Now we're going to sing a song here in a moment called Joy Has Dawned. Uh, and why has joy dawned? Why, why do we sing joy to the world? Well, listen, not because a good example Jesus came. Not because a moral teacher Jesus came. No, because the great reconciler has come. And He has offered the gift of salvation to all who would receive it. And if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to implore you and beg of you to come to Him. Lay your life down at His feet by faith. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. Come grab me or Pastor Steve or anybody you know who's a Christian in this room. We would love to tell you what that's all about. If you're here and you're a Christian tonight, here's our response to this Word from God. Our response needs to be a reversal of our apathy. May our hearts no longer be dull to the good news of great joy. As we sing tonight, may we worship with humbled and joyous hearts because our great reconciler has come. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for sending the Son Jesus, thank you for taking on flesh. We just read that in Philippians 2 moments ago. You humbled yourself. You took on flesh. You lived a perfect life so that you might do the great work of reconciling sinners to God. Lord, the magnitude of that should stir us to our core. And I pray that it would. I pray that this night would be all about you Lord, help us to praise your name uh, with, with joy and fervor as we, we sing, as we greet one another, as we uh, do our own little family traditions tonight and tomorrow morning, God. I pray that it would all be for the glory of our great God and King. You are awesome, Jesus. And we pray all this to you in your name. Amen.